Welcome back to the Sporting Max Podcast. This episode is brought to you by The Missing Link. The Missing Link will help you or your business connect with the biggest stars in the world through events and experiences. Find them at tmlthemissinglink.com.au. Here is your host, Max Becker. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Sporting Max, where today we're joined by the NBL Commissioner, Jeremy Loliga. Welcome to the podcast, Jeremy. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you on. How are you doing? I'm doing really well, Max. Thanks for having me. And uh, you did probably the best of any journalist I've spoken to so far in terms of pronouncing my surname. So we're <laughs> off to a good start. Uh, it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's always a pleasure to have a chat to you. No, it's great to great to be in touch with you too. It was great to meet you in person recently and mm-hmm. really pleased to, to get together. And I'm, I've been listening to some of your podcasts now, really yep. impressed and uh, pleased to be a part of it. Thanks, man. Now, I'd like to start off, um, can you tell me a bit about your childhood and what growing up was like for you? Yeah, well, where to start? Basketball is probably a good place to start and why I got into this in the first place. And uh, I, I was never a really sporty kid. I never really found my niche for team sports until um, I stumbled across basketball late in primary school. So I reckon about grade five or six is when me and my mates Mm -hmm. first started playing basketball and it became an obsession. And uh, (laughs) I was never particularly good, but I remember, uh, you know, particularly through summer holidays, I'd spend all of my spare time at the the local high school outdoor courts. It was a a bit of a... um, uh, I, I guess a, a streetball uh, um, celebrity at the time was a guy by the name of, of Dave Patrick who played with the Melbourne Tigers, um, has since gone on to be a very successful college coach over in the NCAA. He's Ben Simmons' godfather. Um, but he was one of the guys that I grew up wishing I could handle the ball like him. I ended up probably being taller than him. Uh, in fact, I probably was when I was about 15 years old, I reckon, but uh, probably shouldn't have been the guy that I was modelling myself on. I was never going to have handles or, or be able to move like Dave, but um, aspired to grow up and, and have a skerrick of the talent that he had. Unfortunately, never did, never really never really got beyond playing, you know, a reasonable standard of, of rep basketball. Um, but, uh, yeah, I sort of concentrated more on my academia and my studies and, and went down that route, never... Never was going to be much of a sportsman, so I went into, I did a bit of coaching in my spare time, but concentrated on my academia and my studies. And um, yeah, that that was I was a typical sort of geeky kid growing up playing a bit of basketball on the side. Now you went to the University of Melbourne. Can you tell me about the courses um, you did here and why? Yeah, sure. Um, well, I actually had a bit of a change part of the way through. So um, when I just finished. High school, I was about to write down that I wanted to do commerce and law. I felt like that's what everyone expected me to do at the time when I was finishing year 12. And on the night before uh, preferences closed, I changed my mind and took out law. And I said, no, I'd I'd convinced myself that I was only doing that because that's what everyone wanted me to do and expected me to do. And I instead took up commerce and arts. And psychology was my major under my arts degree. Um, and strategic uh, decision analysis was my major under my commerce degree. And it turned out that a lot of both of those degrees had um, statistics in common. 
And so I was just doing statistics classes the whole time. And that, that wore me pretty thin pretty quickly. I was very bored <laughs> after two years. So I dropped the art side of it and I picked up law then. And, and that's where I found sort of my, my strong suit and my passion. And I went on uh, to, to finish the two degrees there. It took me about five and a half years, even though I'd already done two years of arts. I decided I really wanted to rip through it. So I got it all done in five years and, and went on to become a lawyer and actually went back and did some more study as well. Um, I traveled to France and studied in a uni- at a university wow. in France, um, learning about international nuclear law of all things. It was at a time when Australia was considering introducing nuclear powered energy. And, and that was something that I wanted to know more about. And um, and then went back and did a, a graduate diploma in energy and resources law as well. So I was very becoming very specialised in what I was going to end up doing. Um, and none of it really panned out. I, I spent a bit over a decade as a lawyer, but of course, um, left that all behind me to come and do something that is a lot more fun. What did you do after uni? Oh, I did my what's called articles, which is like your graduate year as a lawyer. And then I spent my legal career at um, two different firms, sort of rose up through the ranks at one firm and then transitioned to another, um, take up a partnership. And so I was a partner there uh, and probably more fun than either of those. So in between uni and and starting as a lawyer, I went and travelled the world for seven months by myself, um, backpacked around Europe (laughs) and parts of Asia and and just try to immerse myself in as many different cultures as possible. Now, in 2015, you became known as the CEO of the NBL. How did this position all sort of come about and happen? Well, um, the, the context was that the league at the time was owned by each of the teams that were in the NBL. Mm-hmm. So there were nine teams in the uh, there were eight teams in the NBL at the time, and each of them owned one-eighth of the league Mm -hmm. and that that hadn't really worked as a business model um the the league had gone south pretty quickly and it was in a a state where financially they needed someone to step in and inject some money and uh, a client of mine uh, by the name of larry kesselman uh, he was the gentleman who owned what was the Melbourne Tigers and subsequently became Melbourne United. And um, we were talking about some other things that we were doing in his related businesses. And he mentioned, hey, there's an opportunity, I I think, that's going to be on the table to acquire a majority interest in the league. Do you think it's a good idea? You know, my other businesses, you know, we knew each other a little bit. He said, I know you know about business and about law. And it turns out that I didn't know this, but you'd know a bit about basketball. So, what do you think? Um, and we shared some ideas as to what we would do differently if we were running the NBL uh, over the course of a very brief conversation one afternoon. And it became very apparent that he and I had really similar ideas as to how we thought we could we could fix it. So mm-hmm. he said, well, if you help me do the paperwork to, to acquire the league, um, you better come and run it with me. So that, that's how I became the CEO. Now, what was it like to come into the NBL and um, be the CEO? It was a shock. It was a big shock. Um, It was probably worse than we realised from the outside. (laughs) Quite often, you don't know until you get your feet under the desk and actually start sinking your teeth into a project, exactly what it is that you've taken on. But um, 
I think when we came in, there was there was no TV deal. Uh, the only funding that the league was receiving was a forty thousand dollars sponsorship from uh, the supplier of our basketballs, Wilson, mm -hmm. and uh, there was a federal government grant uh, for about one and a half million dollars a year that expired on thirty June twenty fifteen. And we took over from 1 July 2015. So that wasn't very good timing. <laughs> so there was essentially no money coming into the league and no TV deal. Yeah. Uh, so it was a bit of a shock um, that we had 100 days before we play our first game to basically reinvent the whole organisation. Not the league. The league itself yeah. sort of runs itself. The basketball side of things kind of made a lot of sense. It had always been pretty good. It was the business that needed to be completely reinvented so those first hundred days I can tell you were a, a sprint um, to yeah. try and secure partners to try and secure a tv deal um, before we played that first game and and we were lucky enough um, that, that that's exactly how it happened so how did you strike that tv deal with I think it might have been SBS uh yeah it, at, at the time uh the the first tv deal we did was with uh Fox Sports and um, Channel 9, I think it was in the first year. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, look, it, it was a combination of selling a dream and a bit of good fortune. We didn't have a product to sell. Uh, we, we, we weren't able to say that we're bringing 20 national brands as sponsors um, mm -hmm. who are going to get behind this thing and buy advertising space from you, Fox. And so instead, what we had to say was, look, we, we will deliver this to you really, really inexpensively. And if you mm -hmm. give us a season or if you give us a bit of lead time and we can go back to some prospective sponsors and say, hey, it's going to be on TV and it's going to look fantastic. That's something yeah. we think we can sell to sponsors. And, and so having done the broadcast deal, we were able to sign, I think, this is somewhere in the vicinity of 20 or 24 sponsors um, before we played our first game on the on the fourth of October, two thousand and fifteen. Now, and again, to, for the sponsors, we were selling a dream. We were selling a yeah. product that didn't exist yet. Now, in August two thousand nineteen, you were upgraded um, to be the commissioner of the NBL. What did that mean to you? Um, to sort of go from the CEO and then be up there with uh, Larry as the commissioner. Yeah, well, I guess in some ways it was. Uh, I don't know if it was upgraded, but it was just sort of recognition that the the business had grown into something different. And um, you know, to, to give you some context, when we started, I think the league had six employees. Mm -hmm. And at one stage, we were down to three, I think. Um, and it was basically all hands on deck and everyone just doing whatever needed doing. Yeah. Um, and it got to the point where we'd grown very, very quickly. There were very capable executives who were working with me, who each took responsibility for their different parts of the organisation. And it gave me the opportunity to just to lift my eyes up a little bit, work. The, the old cliche is work more on the business and less in the business. It's, yeah. it's not quite like that. I think that is an overused cliche and doesn't really mean anything, but it, it did allow me to sort of look a little bit further down the runway, not worry so much about the day-to-day. -day. That was now being taken care of by some very capable people and doing really well. 
um, and gave me a bit of capacity to start thinking about big, exciting strategic projects and new partners and um, spending more time with our external stakeholders like governments, whether it's state governments in Australia or federal governments, but also uh, um, international partners like the NBA, like the CBA in China, yep. international broadcasters, partners like Twitch, who are streaming our games, Facebook, um, and of course, working very closely with the likes of, of Basketball Australia and all of our state associations too. So how did you get a deal done to sort of do that NBL, NBA and get um, our Australian teams over there to America to play against, you know, the top teams in the world? Yeah, it was a, it was a pretty cool um, pretty cool conversation the way it all kicked off. Uh, Larry and I were over in the US. We were in Toronto for All-Star Weekend, which must have been 2016, I think. Yep. Um, and all the, the governors of the NBA were there, all the team owners, the GMs of all the clubs. And, and we'd been talking with a few people about, well, how do we, how do we bring some NBA content to Australia? And, and that was going to be a longer-term conversation, but someone mentioned in the meantime, well, let's keep talking about that. But, look, we need, we need a game. We've got one spare slot in our calendar for an NBL team to come and play uh, an NBA preseason game. And that, that was actually the Utah Jazz. It was the GM yeah. from the Utah Jazz who first gave us that real opportunity and said, look, well, let's go at this from two different directions. I'm going to talk to my contacts in the league. You go and talk to, and he gave us the name of the person to approach within the league. And he said, I reckon we can get them to, to matchmake us. And, and, um, it's just developed each year from there. That first game was really successful. It, it became three games. Um, the teams were competitive. Uh, it, it gave the NBA really, the NBA preseason, some really good exposure back in Australia. Um, so it was a, a win-win situation, and it's continued to snowball from there. And obviously interrupted by COVID, but let's hope mm -hmm. that it kicks off again next year. So how over the past sort of three years have you got the deals? Um, with brands like Mitchell and Ness and first ever and now champion for the NBL? It was a bit of an evolution in the sense that we, we started with Mitchell and Ness, who um, really added some credibility to the NBL brand at the time. You know, we needed to be associated with a cool brand that had basketball legacy and um, Mitchell and Ness were the headwear uh, partner mm -hmm. of the NBA and Uber credible and, and fashionable at the time. So that was a great fit for us. And the, the guys who represented Mitchell and S here in Australia were fantastic. Um, we, what we sought to do in the longer term was we wanted to take the apparel deal to, you know, maybe one day someone like a Nike or Adidas or yep. Champion was on the rise at the time and, and continues to be. But what we found was we didn't have enough data about um how and where our merchandise was selling. And we thought that the best way to really understand our own business um, was to bring it in-house. And First Ever actually was a business that belonged to or was related to the NBL. Mm -hmm. And that allowed us to take a couple of seasons to really understand our product, to understand where the demand was um, and structure up a deal then with a third party that was actually going to be um, uh, more significant in terms of the commercial outcomes league. And having taken a couple of seasons to refine all of that data, we were able to then go to market and um, strike a deal with Champion. 
fantastic brand. Again, huge yeah. amounts of credibility, um, a, a real intersection in terms of our target demographic and the fact that basketball's not just about sport, it's about the culture of the sport, music, fashion, um, and a, a great meeting of the minds there in terms of uh, what these two organisations have in common. What do you do as uh, the NBL's commissioner? Oh, where to start? The job <laughs> is different every single day. Um, it, a lot of it is about external stakeholder relationships. So making sure that we're at the forefront of the minds of the public, um, mm -hmm. of governments, of corporate partners, um, broadcast partners, and making sure that we're constantly evolving reinventing ourselves, making the most of strategic opportunities when they present. We have a pretty unique difference. Um, we have a pretty unique organisation compared to other sporting leagues in Australia in that we're privately owned. Yep. And so our, our um, governance isn't nearly as bureaucratic as, as some of the other big sporting leagues, which means we can move really quickly and try new things and we can be a little bit um, we, we can take a little bit more risk and be a little bit more entrepreneurial. So it's those sorts of things that I work on the day-to-day -day is the, the longer-term strategy of the league and how we maximise those opportunities uh, as and when they arise. So can you tell me about the NBL Cup and how that idea sort of all started out? Sure. So it, it started, um, it was born out of what we thought was going to be necessity. When COVID really struck home, we thought, well, we better start making plans for mm -hmm. either a season in a bubble, mm -hmm. a bubble. And it became apparent that we were going to be able to travel around the country and play something a bit more like a traditional home and away season. We thought, well, we should probably still play the hub. Um, yeah. And uh, we had we essentially decided that it was a good insurance policy in case anything unexpected happened during the season. And if we had to call the season short, well, we would be able to play four, um, four weeks, four rounds in really quick succession to get a critical mass of results mm -hmm. so that if we did have to call the season off early, we would still be able to have a, a champion or a ladder or something along those lines. Um, as the season has continued to roll on, hopefully we don't need to stop anything prematurely, but we thought, well, this is still a really good idea. Bringing everyone together in the one place, playing a concentrated period of basketball. And it turned out that we had time for 36 games. 36 games was exactly the right number that we needed for every team to play every other team once. Why don't we try and make something of that? Everyone's in the one spot, so not traveling around. So a pretty level playing field started to look like an opportunity to have a, a tournament within a tournament. Mm -hmm. um, and so while they're all regular season games, they also have a separate point scoring system that will be used to determine who wins the first ever NBL Cup. Now, will there sort of be like, uh, say, finals or anything like that for the NBL Cup? No, it's, it's determined just on points. And the mm -hmm. points you get are um, three points for every game that you win and one quarter for every game. Uh, for, sorry, yeah. one point for every quarter that you win. So the most points that you can take away from one game would be seven points, three mm -hmm. for the win and one for each quarter. Um, and so far, it's, it's been pretty hotly contested. There's been a bit of movement at the top of the table. Um, we're only about halfway through the cup, so it's still... 
uh, it's still anyone's. It's up for grabs. Oh, was it? Was the NBL Cup always going to be in Melbourne, or were you guys kind of looking at a few other different uh, places in the country for it? Yeah, we we looked all around the country. We spoke with um, most of the state governments that have uh, one or more NBL teams, and in fact, we spoke with a couple of state governments that don't have an NBL team. Um, Tasmania being uh, the obvious one where we're introducing a team next season. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, there are a number of different things that we had to take into consideration. COVID was a really big one. You know, where could we feasibly play these games and, and who was going to be able to manage um, uh, that risk with us? Who, who, not just who was willing to, but who was best placed to. Um, and then there had to be a commercial element as well. Who, who could afford to help us stage mm-hmm. this event? Um, because all of the net proceeds from the event are being distributed back to the clubs. So the NBL isn't making any money from the NBL Cup. The intent was that any tickets that got sold, the proceeds go back to the teams. Um, and so we needed to find a government who was willing to help us cover the costs of staging the event or, or it wouldn't have made much mm-hmm. sense at all. Now, is the NBL Cup going to be a yearly thing, um, sort of maybe similar to the All-Star Weekend, however, like longer and maybe hosted in some other cities or something like that? Yeah, it's a really good question, Max. We, we certainly hope so. Uh, we're planning for it to be held annually. Um, yeah. Maybe in a slightly different format. The reason we were all in one place for one big chunk of time was primarily because it de-risked COVID. Um, but when COVID's not a factor, uh, hopefully we can um, maybe stage it in a couple of periods at different parts of the season, maybe during the school holidays at a couple of different times of season maybe one city for those two different times or maybe two different cities. So there's all different ways we could do it. But yes, cup model in one way or another feature as part of our calendar. Now, MBL 21, who's your prediction for MVP at this moment in time? Oh. Mitch Creek's having a good year. Yeah, You could never write Bryce Cotton off. He's having another fantastic Absolutely. year. Um, <laughs> couple of guys at the Hawks are, are doing exceptionally well. Um, Jock Landale's got to be a, a contender also. Yeah. It's a really tough one to call this early in the season, but uh, I think that makes for a really exciting season, the fact that there's no one clear standout at this point. So do you go for one sort of specific NBL team or all of them? Uh, the safest policy is the commissioner is to root for the home team. Uh, that's, it. that's the only way you can be guaranteed that you'll get out of life. Yeah. Now, what two teams do your prediction are for the grand final series this year? And then who do you think is going to take out that championship? Oh, controversial. Um, Melbourne United on paper are a very, very strong team. One of the strongest mm-hmm. we've seen in years, comparable to the Sydney Kings lineups of the last few years, I think. Yeah. Um, but they've got a few injury concerns there. Mm-hmm. Two of Definitely. their best players still out in Chris Golding and Jack White. Shay Ely back in the side now, but you know, a key defender that was out for a period there when they when they did drop a game. I think Melbourne, though, has to be one of the favorites to go through to the grand final. And you never rule out the Perth Wildcats. They yep. are, again, everyone ruled them out. I don't know why, but everyone ruled them out again this season. And they're, all of a sudden, they're back up there at second on the ladder at the moment. Look, 
why don't we say Melbourne United and Perth? They're one and two on the ladder yeah. at the moment, but I think the Illawarra Hawks could have a, a really strong season. What do you think of uh, the Adelaide 36ers and guys like Josh Giddy coming into town this year? Hugely impressed by Josh. Um, really proud that we've been able to sign him and Mojave King as our first two Australians in the Nectars program. Yeah. I think there's no doubt at all in my mind that Josh Giddy will be a first-round draft pick in the 2021 NBA draft. Um, crossing my fingers that he's a lottery pick, but he's going to have a great year this year. Tell you what, though, he's got some stiff competition for Rookie of the Year. There's a lot of outstanding yeah. rookies this year, <laughs> probably better than any rookie class I can remember. Um, but he, he's an NBA talent. Um, and His dad was an NBL legend. Josh will be an NBL legend after playing one season. Um, and then he's going to go on to become an NBA legend. Now, if we, if we flick back to the 2019-20 NBL season, we had um, sort of the big next stars in LaMelo Ball and RJ Hampton. What's it like to watch these guys um, come to the league and then go and get drafted by, obviously, um, Denver and the Charlotte Hornets and play in the NBA? It's pretty satisfying. Uh, that was the intent. Um, you, you make plans, and it's always nice when you make plans to see them pan out the way that you had hoped. Um, Lamello, in particular, is having an astonishing season. Yeah. Virtually, a, a, yeah. barring anything unforeseen, virtually a guaranteed rookie, uh, the rookie of the year over there, I would imagine. He's, he's yeah. playing exceptionally well, which I think justifies the, the whole premise of the Next Stars program. And uh, we knew that he was an elite talent. Um, and when there were a lot of doubters out there saying he was a highlight yeah. reel and that he was more interested in social media than he was playing basketball. But nothing could be further from the truth. I've never met a kid who just wanted to play basketball so much. He, yeah. was, he was adamant that he was going to be one of the best in the world. And that's the trajectory that he's on now. Now, what about RJ? Because it was, yeah, originally he was going to the Bucks, and then sort of Denver saw that spot to come in and knew what they wanted and took RJ. Yeah, they, they made a pretty considered play for him. One of the interesting nuances there is that he, he probably took the roster spot of another NBL player, uh, Tory Craig, who, who was mm -hmm. playing really, really well uh, at the Denver Nuggets for a few seasons. And um, it's, it's gone the other way. So now RJ is at Denver Nuggets and, and Tory Craig is at the Milwaukee Bucks. And yep. uh, it's an interesting dynamic watching it play out. Tory's having a, uh, another good season. Um, Milwaukee's doing well, but you know Denver are a powerhouse these last few seasons, mm -hmm. and Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic have really carried uh, the weight of that team on their shoulders. And um, it'd be great to see RJ play some more minutes later in the season. Hopefully, they make another strong playoff run. Now, Jay Sean Tate went over to the Houston Rockets, um, sort of before this this NBL season got started, and he's coming to their starting five. And in my opinion, I think today or yeah, today he got a double-double, um, yeah, for the Rockets. And he came off the bench today, which I thought was a little bit of a surprise, but he's been having really keeping up those consistent and solid solid stats. What's it like to see him um, get signed go over to the NBA and start in the starting five at Houston? Yeah, so cool. So pleased with Joe Sean. He was amazing here in the NBL, a great asset for us, you know, always uh, – and marketable and and obviously hugely entertaining to watch. But again, it, it goes to show that 
there's not that great a difference between the NBL and the NBA. You know, people think yeah. that an NBA player would be completely dominate. Jay Sean Tate was an amazing player, and I think he was um, all NBL first team last year yeah. and a real contender for for MVP. Um, but you know, he's he's numbers aren't all that different in the NBA to what they are in the NBL yeah, exactly. per minute. And and it shows that um, it shows that it, this is a really tough league. Uh, it's similar with guys like Tory Craig, Scotty Wilberkin, James Ennis. They've all started off in the NBL um, and gone on to be important role players in the NBA, but playing very similar to roles to what they played played here in the NBL. So um, I'm, I'm super, super happy for Jay Sean. Uh, I'm really pleased too that he's at the Rockets um, with Will Weaver being an assistant coach. So Will has gone from from coaching Jay Sean at Sydney to coaching yeah. Jay Sean in, in Houston. <laughs> it's a great it's a great story and uh, I'm really pleased for the two of them. Now, we've had uh, Leonard Copeland on the podcast recently and the dynamic duo are back together um, on, in the NBL media team commentating some games. What's it like to have Copes come back into the league and um, first game commentating with Gazy? Yeah, I thought his first game up was pretty good. The two of them slopped straight back into a routine. Yeah. I mean, they were together <laughs> at the Melbourne Tigers. They were together again at the Sydney Kings. And uh, I don't know, maybe they're inseparable. Maybe they're just going to gravitate towards one another, uh, whatever they do. But um, I certainly hope that's the case because they're a fantastic pairing. Um, you can just see it and hear it in the way that they bounce off one another. They obviously still enjoy one another's company. Uh, let's wait and see if, if it wears thin. I don't know, but uh, they seem to still enjoy one another's company and all credit to them. We're the beneficiaries. And uh, I'm, I hope Copes has a really long career in our commentary team. I think he has a lot to add and uh, mm-hmm. he's certainly a very well-loved member of the basketball community. What's it like to see all the NBL teams come to Melbourne to play for a month and you get to go to those games and experience the action? Yeah, it's, it's pretty surreal. Um, it's like the, the pre-season blitz, except on, on a whole different scale. Everyone's taking it super seriously because it counts towards regular season points. Mm-hmm. Um, a huge amount of basketball in a short amount of time, which, you know, we need to do all the analysis after the cup and see whether or not the players liked it, whether the coaches liked it, whether the fans liked it. Um, but so far, it's been absolutely fantastic. It's been getting really good reports. I hope the players have been having a good experience. But, you know, they're, they're players. Um, they want to play. They don't want to train. I'm sure yeah. they'd rather be out there playing games <laughs> than on the training court. So uh, I hope it's worked out well for them. As a basketball fan myself, I think all these double headers uh, consistently are just fantastic. Um, what was it like for you? And I saw you a few weeks ago at the uh, Andrew Parkinson Golf Day, and get out there to support Parky. Um, we've also had him on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, he's he's a, a legend, Parky, and um, I, I've caught up with him a couple of times again since. And uh, mm-hmm. I was I was just telling him uh, the day before yesterday we caught up, and um, I was telling him that that he, he wouldn't remember, but I was actually the towel boy. Uh, for South East Melbourne Magic, the, the year that he won a championship um, with with Andre Lamanis, you know, a, a great coach and a good friend, um, mm-hmm. warming the, the bench pretty consistently at the time. But Dre <laughs> even coached me a few games back then. Brian Gorgian at the helm, mm-hmm. you know, it's 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 like having the old band back together, except I'm the roadie <laughs> that they don't remember. Um, but yeah, it was great to be able to to 
spent some time with Parky and all of his mates and his rivals from back in the day. As you know, Max, they spent that day celebrating yeah. the rivalry between the Tigers and the Magic. And yeah. that's what first got me into basketball it was those games between the Magic and the Tigers. And, um, oh, look, it was just great to see them all in the one place for a really, really good cause. What was it like for you to watch all the guys talk about um, the brawls and things like that? I remember them vividly. I remembered... Uh, I remember that game when when Parky hit that. Oh, I can't remember if he made the three or not, but shot that three and just yeah. caught Dre Gordon with the elbow on the follow yeah. through. And, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, it was it was a mess, but um, just those memories that sit in the back of your head. I hadn't thought about that in in probably twenty years, and then you're oh, geez, I remember when that happened, and yeah. uh, that's what basketball is all about, right? It creates these magic little memories that sit in the back of your head and pop up from time to time. What's, the, what's your best advice um, to anyone trying to make a pathway for themselves into sort of the business or media side of the NBL? Uh, but it's tough um, because now people really care again. Uh, and so there's a huge yeah. amount of demand for the few number of jobs that are around. Uh, there was a period there where um, anyone could have got a job with the NBL because no one really thought it was going to succeed. But now, uh, but now every time we, we post for any kind of job vacancy, we're just inundated with applicants because people are watching the rise and rise of the sport. Yeah. Um, participation in basketball continues to skyrocket. Uh, eyeballs on the NBL continue to skyrocket. Australia, both men, women and junior, it doesn't matter, every, every facet of the game, Australia is punching well above its weight. And so... It's a really exciting time to get involved. I strongly encourage people to um, get involved at the grassroots level. In the if you're interested in administration or, or the business side of things, go and learn at the grassroots level um, at your local basketball association um, because it's actually a really complicated industry and it's very, very multifaceted. Um, and the more people that you know and the better that you understand, understand the economics of the game, the more likely you are to find your way um, find your way to the top of the tree. Mm -hmm. Now, March the 4th, uh, the movie came out. It hoists the next stars. Um, RJ Hampton, the mellow ball, Terry Armstrong and Daddy Lazada. What's it like to watch these guys try and um, pave a way for themselves in the NBA and um, into the NBA too? Yeah, it's really cool. Our first feature film, it's not something that we ever thought we were going to be doing was making feature films, but we yeah. always were really conscious of telling stories and, helping people to understand the backstories and the possible futures of some of these amazing young men. Uh, mm -hmm. Our first, our first attempt is these four young guys from four really different backgrounds mm -hmm. together for a short but critical period in their careers before they each go their own separate way again and giving people a bit of a, a peek behind the scenes as to how it all happens. Um, we thought was important insight that, that, you know, maybe a lot of people don't understand or haven't had access to before. So uh, we, we saw the premiere the other night. It opens in public today. Um, mm -hmm. We're hoping people get along and, and check it out because, as I said, it, it, it really shows the NBL in a different light. Um, it shows us as being pretty unique in the, the world, um, the world market uh, um, for basketball. We're different yeah. to anywhere else. Um, I think this also sort of helps, you know, show for any of the doubters that um, 
to show what the NBL can actually do and produce with these kinds of players and get them over here and then see them go off to the NBA and make their way um, and be a successful pro basketballer in the NBA and worldwide. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. That's, it. That's the intent, Max, and I hope people take that message away from it. Thanks, Jeremy, for coming on the podcast today and having a chat. It's been a pleasure to have you on and for you to put um, down a side uh, bit of your time today and come on. Good on you, Max. Really appreciate it. Keep it up. Look forward to tuning into more of your podcasts. Thanks, Jeremy. Stay tuned, everyone, for some more Sporting Max. Thanks for listening to Sporting Max. If you liked this episode, please leave us a rating or review on iTunes and follow and subscribe to our channel on Instagram and YouTube. This episode was brought to you by The Missing Link.